0: All right, today's message, I'm going to try to see if I can get myself in trouble. That's my goal today, to see if I can get in trouble, because I'm going to be answering or discussing the question, is there a war on women? That is an expression that we have heard a lot in the last decade, and so that made me curious. Is there a war on women? And I am a brave person to stand up here on stage and try to answer this question, but we're going to jump into the scripture, and I want you to turn with, your, with me in your Bibles to, to Genesis chapter number 1. Now, one of the values we have around here is we believe that where the word speaks, God speaks. And what's interesting is is that this is the third time in 10 days that I'm going to preach and use this same verse. And what that teaches us is that God's word is inexhaustible. That means that there is countless truth found within this word, within these pages, and within these scriptures. And it amazes me every time how I read something, something new jumps out. And so we're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse number 26 and 27. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over everything that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. This expression, war on women, really came into notice in 2010, and the expression gained even more popularity over the last 10 years, particularly at 2016. And we have a generation of young ladies are growing up being told by the media that there is a war on womanhood. And I think that we need to answer that question as as believers. We need to understand, is there a war on women? And what this message is really going to be zoning in on and focusing on is gender roles. And that's really what this comes down to, this entire expression. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? That is the crux of the issue. That is the root of the question. What are gender roles? As believers in God, we have to have a real understanding of gender roles, how men and women are to interact with one another, and how each gender reflects the image of God into creation. And what we see from our scripture that we just read is that God created man and woman in His image and in His likeness. One of the most important things that we can do as Christians is to ask God, how can I reflect your image and your likeness into creation? Or more specifically for our message today, we need to ask, how can I as a man or how can I as a woman reflect the image of God, the likeness of God to this lost and broken world? I want to share with you some thoughts on that. I want to share with you some thoughts on gender roles from the perspective of scripture first, excuse me, from culture first, and then from scripture second, because we need to lay a foundation of what is the problem and how the culture and how the world is confused on what God was trying to get us to do. And then we're going to look at scripture and we're going to see what God's original intent and design for man and woman was. Here's the hope through studying this is that we can embrace who God created us to be. And in the process of embracing who God created us to be, we can reflect his image and his likeness of who he created us to be. So let's start with this question. What does the culture say about gender roles? The expression... War on Women is founded in the feminist movement. And feminism is, de- is defined as the efficacy of women's rights on the basis of equality of the sexes. Now, on the surface, I believe that all of us could probably agree with that basic ideal. This is a, a virtuous ideal. All men and women are created equal by God. Therefore, there should be equal rights and equal opportunities. That sounds reasonable and just to most of us. And in truth, if you start to look back, there, men and women have not always had equal rights or equal opportunities. A simple uh, example of this would be found where women were not given federal protection to vote until the 1920s with the 19th Amendment to the Constitution. And so women's rights have come a long way over the last century. However, there's a lot of areas where women still seem to have some sort of struggle and disadvantage next to a man. Uh, I'll give you an example from my realm. As a pastor, I am a vocational minister. And what that means is I get paid by the church to serve the church. So as I give my life to the church, the church compensates me so my family can eat. Now, as I was on staff, that got to the same thing got to happen now that I'm a lead pastor. This, this particular church is the one that takes care of me. Now, as a staff pastor, when I felt led to go and go into a lead pastor role that I now have, uh, I was very confident that I could find a a church very quickly. Uh, Female pastors have an easier job finding a staff pastor role. Uh, However, if she wants to go and become a lead pastor, she's probably going to have a lot harder time. There is still a stigma there, even within the AG uh, or the Assemblies of God that states that we believe that women can pastor. There still seems to be some barriers and some struggles there. Uh, I have I've read countless women in our denomination who say they have been rejected for jobs or, or fought a real strong bias simply because they are female. The second example that seems to come up a lot when you talk about inequality is an income inequality. Now, this is very difficult, and depending on what economists you ask, uh, they will give you different answers to if this is a reality or not. But it does appear on the surface that women make somewhere between 12 and 23% less than a man with the same uh, experience and uh, same uh, work history. The third area tends to be gender bias, meaning men and women do have certain views of each other, and because of those views, there might be a bias in how they interact and relate to one another. And there is some truth to that, but we can begin to play those stereotypes to the extreme. For example, women uh, tend to be more emotionally aware than men, therefore they're more nurturing and risk adverse than men. Uh, Men tend to be physically stronger, more aggressive, and so they take more risk, but they are less emotionally aware than a woman. And these are all norms, they're not necessarily hard, fast rules, but those stereotypes can play uh, against one another. Now, feminism at its core, as we said a moment ago, says that we want to bring equality to men and women. The problem is this, is that the solution that modern feminists suggest to this culture are often wrong and dangerous in the form of immorality. And from a biblical perspective, modern feminism tries to offer solutions to these problems, but the solutions that they often offer are going to make women compromise morally, or it's a compromise of a biblical design. There are three real problems with modern feminism from a biblical perspective. And the first is this, much of the feminist movement is dedicated to quote unquote women's health. Which is a fancy word for abortion. As I was doing study and research for this, and you start looking up feminist agendas, almost every single one of them have abortion at the top of the list for what they are trying to champion. Now, we won't camp on this issue today, we don't have time for that, but as Bible believing Christians, we believe that all life is in the image of God and should be protected even inside of the womb. Second problem is that much of the modern feminist movement is dedicated to a woman's empowerment of the use of her body, meaning that feminists seem to believe that it's empowering for women to dress in a provocative manner and to display her body in a way that is, allows her to negotiate outcomes. And this would be a delusion of power. Third, much of the mo- modern feminist movement fights against the idea and the ideal of any sort of gender roles being rooted in a biological makeup. So they would say any sort of idea that a, a woman is supposed to act like a, like a lady or a man is supposed to act like a tough man is a complete social construct and that it's not good for any of us. Never mind the fact that if you put a baby doll in a room full of toddlers that are all girls, they're going to be nurturing to that baby doll. If you put a baby doll in a room full of boys, toddlers, they're going to need to be using the baby doll as a weapon within five minutes, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, before long, that baby is going to be used as a football or it's going to be used as a weapon. One kid has the other baby, just whacking it, you know, that's what boys do. But feminists tend to believe that the idea, that that's that's also social construct. If we would remove everything, the boys would be just as nurturing as the girls or vice versa. Feminists tend to believe that gender roles are dangerous and that all gender roles are socialization and they should be rejected. Now, the crazy thing is this. Not all feminists believe this. For example, Christina Hoff Summers, aka the factual feminist, caught a lot of criticism because she believed that many gender roles were biologically innate. She gave a lecture to a women's group at Yale University, and the women and the women's group got so angry with her that the leaders of that group apologized for her speech because they believed her understanding of biological gender roles was dangerous. So let's kind of recap. I know I'm just throwing a bunch of things out here. I'm laying a foundation. We're going somewhere with this. Feminism is proclaiming for a long time that there is a war on women, that men and women are identical in every single way, that the issue uh, is really about gender roles and that it's not good for gender roles. And many modern uh, feminists are trying to get that out of here. So, what's the point of all this, Austin? Are you trying to give me a social studies lecture? No, not at all. That's not my intention. My intention is to show us is that the culture is lying to us about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And all of us live in a culture that can influence our perspective and it develops our worldview. And here's what I want for the ladies of JFA. I want the ladies of JFA to be fierce and ferocious victors. And the reason why God created you to be a woman is that he had a design intended for you to live out. And we need to embrace that reason so we can be victorious by God's design. I believe the biblical understanding of womanhood makes perfectly clear sense. Biblical womanhood, catch this, has nothing to do with baby dolls, has nothing to do with abortion, has nothing to do with being in the kitchen or being a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Has nothing to do with any of those. Biblical womanhood has everything to do with displaying the image of God to creation. Now understand what I'm saying. What does God intend for you to do as a woman? Like most things, if we need to understand this from Scripture, we have to go back to the beginning. In our passage a moment ago in Genesis, we saw that God created humanity. He created the male and female. And this should teach us something right off the bat. God created men and women different. The question we should ask ourselves is why? Why did God create men and women different? Well, if you look in your Bible, Genesis chapter number one is like a a 30,000 foot overview of creation. Genesis two dives into the detailed account of when God created man and woman. And here's what it says, starting in verse number seven of Genesis two, then God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life and man became a living creature. Skip down to verse 28, excuse me, verse 18. It says this, then God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave name to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they became one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. As we said, this is the detailed account of the first man and first woman. And I want to ask a couple of questions and make some observations. And hopefully in the process, we will learn something about gender roles. The first thought I have is this. I think it's a really interesting narrative in scripture that God created the light and he said it was good. God created the fish and he said it was good. God created the sun, the moon, the stars, and he said it was good. And then when God created Adam, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And this begs a question, did God forget to make woman? I mean, think about it. God does all these things; it's all good, and then God says it's not good. Did God forget to make woman? Did He make a mistake when He made Adam? My mom used to tell the joke that God made Adam first, and He made woman second because He knew He could do better. He learned what not to do the first time, right? Adam was, you know, the the prototype. Okay, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's what's going on here. Did God forget, or? was God trying to show Adam about the equality of man and woman and the importance of the differences between men and women by creating them at several times. I think that's what God was trying to do. I believe that God was trying to teach humanity, the importance of men and women by creating them at different times. The truth is that God's word shows us that men and women are different with different roles Let's think about this. God says it's not good for man to be alone. And then he brings all the animals from creation in front of Adam. And Adam starts to name them, but there's no helpmate for him. There's no one that's like him. He is alone, and he's inadequate to serve God on his own capacity. He needs someone like him, but that's also different from him. And so God has a solution. He's going to make a woman. And God, he could have made Eve from the dust of the ground just like he made Adam from the dust of ground. However, God doesn't do that. Instead, he puts Adam into a deep sleep, takes one of his ribs from his side, and forms the woman Eve. When God created Eve from Adam's side, God was showing humanity that man and woman are the same in essence and value, but different in role. They're the same in essence and value, but different role. In essence, Adam and Eve were both made from the same flesh, and they both had the same breath of God within them. They had the same value. They were both created in the image and likeness of God. There was equality in their value before God and to each other. However, man and woman had different roles. Now, understand when we're talking about roles, we're not talking about being a welder or a nurse, becoming a CEO or a stay-at-home parent. Those are carnal realities of life. And part of the problem with this conversation is that we are exchanging the carnal realities of life for the eternal purpose that God is trying to get us to display. Men and women are different, which shows the value of being different. Don't be afraid to embrace the differences between men and women. Here's why. God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Man and woman was created uniquely to partner with God to reflect His image and His likeness. Gender differences show the fullness of who God is to the lost world. A world of only men with masculine personalities cannot adequately reflect the image of God alone. Neither could a world full of only women with feminine personalities reflect the image of God alone. The differences between men and women bring the fullness of the work of God to, for humanity to carry out. A world full of only men is going to have a tough time to bring the compassion and the tenderness that the God wants to bring to the work. A world full of only women cannot bring the power and the aggressiveness that God intends for the work. We need one another. Think about the nuances of men and women and how it reflects who God is. Generally speaking, men tend to be aggressive defenders of the homes and their families. And this personality reflects how God rescues us and defends us. Women tend to be more nurturing, reflects how God cares for us and raises us up. Men tend to be more powerfully physically, which reflects the power of God. Women tend to be more emotionally aware, which reflects a God who is full of love and joy and happiness. Gender roles from a biblical stance have nothing to do with careers, with hobbies, with ambitions, with ministry, with chores around the house. Gender roles have everything to do with who God created you to be. Men and women can do the same things. A woman can be a welder if she wants, and a man can be a nurse if he wants. None of those things have anything to do with what God's saying. However, when men and women bring their different personalities to a particular profession or ministry opportunity, they are bringing a different flavor and a different flair to it. That's how God created us to be, and it's good for us to embrace that. That was God's design. However, just like everything else, sin distorted God's design. The devil comes in, tempts Eve, and she falls into sin. And instantly, man and woman start to argue with one another. And God comes down and gives punishment. And what was the punishment that God gave? That man would have to work hard to provide for his family, and that the pain in childbirth would go up. And what's insane about this, if you look through most of human history, until recently, men were predominantly working and women were predominantly having children, and neither one of them had it easy. Neither one of them had a walk in the park. Ever since the day that sin entered into the world, there was tension between men and women. So I know I'm throwing a lot out. Let's recap once again. Culture says men and women are the same. Gender roles are not good for anyone. Gender roles are just social constructs that limit people. Men and women need equal rights and opportunities, and that means that women need to be able to decide what she does with her body, both in having children and how she displays her body. God's word says men and women are created equal by God in the image of God and have the same essence and value as children of God. Both can do anything God's called them to do. However, their gender differences at birth are going to help them better reflect the image of God to the world. In two paragraphs, that's a summary of where we're at. Now, that is the truth. However, that truth still has to be played out in society and in culture today. And ladies, I'm not naive enough to believe that you don't have to deal with certain things because you are a woman. I've done enough research and I've read enough and I've talked to enough women that I respect to know that there are challenges that women face that men do not have to face. However, here's what I also know is true. In no way will those challenges prevent you from fulfilling God's call on your life if you continue to chase after his call for your life. Challenges are only opportunities that God can use to prune you, to strengthen you, and refine you for your calling. Therefore, when you face challenges because you are a woman, God's in his grace is going to empower you and equip you to do what he's called you to do in spite of those challenges. And I think that leads us to a question. How should Christian women respond to any potential quote unquote gender war? This is my advice to you. Let's pretend if you're a young lady and you're my daughter, or if you are my age and you're my sister, or if you're a little bit older, you're my mom. That's how scripture tells us to respond to one another. Paul told Timothy if treat younger women as sisters, older women as mothers in the faith. How should a Christian woman respond to any of these challenges? Sitting over here, if you want some thoughts, here's some thoughts. First, my advice to you this. Be slow to take offense. The scripture tells us to be slow to take offense. In my preparation for this message, I watched a video in which uh, male pastors were reading off a teleprompter. And what they were reading were comments made to female pastors. And so these guys had no idea what they were about to read. They just sat down in front of this teleprompter, and the words began to scroll. And some of the comments that these men had to read were, for example, you preach really good, and you're easy on the eye. So imagine you're a female, and you get done at the end of your message, and some dude walked up and said, hey, you preach really good, and you look good, too, doing it. What a pig. Another female, I kid you not, said that a man walked up, slapped her on the rear after she got done preaching, and said, good message. Now, I don't know about you, Jake's my buddy. If he walks up and slaps me on the rear after my message today. (laughs) So, I do believe that women face challenges men don't have to face. I was talking to a lady one time and she's talking about she's standing there at a copier making copies. A male coworker just comes up from behind, starts hugging on her from behind. She's married, he's married. I've been standing at the copier a lot, okay? Never happened to me. <laughs> now, what does that teach us? We need to be aware that things happen that are not always right. And sometimes those people need to be, can I say this from the pulpit? Punched in the face. And men, let's be honest, if we see somebody, and I'd hope that all of our guys would be here, if we saw one of our male counterparts walk up behind a lady at a copier, that we would say something to that, I would hope. Some things are criminal, and then some people are just stupid. And so if you're a lady and somebody did something stupid to you, here's my advice, don't allow offense to go to the root of who you are. Because once offense goes to the root of who you are, it's going to jade and mess up your calling and your character. Maybe they don't like you because you're a woman. Maybe they're just not that intelligent. Who knows what the answer is? But what I would tell you is walk confidently in the path that God has laid out in front of you. And try not to take offense or protest the stupidity it comes across. Now, if somebody does something criminal to you, that's a whole other issue, and we'll deal with that later. Second, my advice to you as ladies would be this. Follow the favor. If you're a uh, if you're a lady and you truly believe that a male in your life is holding you back professionally or in ministry or whatever, and overlooking you because you're a female, then I would go where the favor's at. I talked to a lady who felt very strongly in the feminist movement. I asked her if she thought there was a war on women. And she said, I don't believe there's a war. I just believe that there's indifference. She said, I feel like I have to work twice as hard to get noticed. And my my advice to her was, I go someplace where people notice you. You know, if I'm sitting there and I feel like I'm not getting paid properly and I'm doing a good job and I'm doing all these things, there are people who are desperate to hire top shelf workers and employees. And my advice would be go find who those people are and work for them. You don't have to stay where you're at. Third thing I'd tell you is this. Listen to the right voices. This goes for men and women. Listen to the right voices. Don't listen to media when it comes to the feminist movement because it's going to put a chip on your shoulder. And that doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Ladies, the media is going to tell you that all men are out to get you and that the system is rigged against you and that you cannot advance. Men, the only thing you're going to see of the feminist movement is women wearing vulgar costumes, marching in Washington, yelling a lot. If you know what I'm talking about, in 2017, that's exactly what happened in Washington. It was so vulgar. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you what they were doing. Neither one of those is an accurate representation of men or women that I have experienced in life. I honestly don't know a man who believes that a woman shouldn't be able to vote or work any career that she wants. On the other hand, I've never met a woman who would wear a vulgar costume. Here's the problem, though. If you watch TV or you watch the media, that's the only thing you're going to see. And that just adds to a false bias. Here's a better opinion, a better option for you in my opinion. I say find strong Christian females and look to them and say, that's who's going to shape my perspective of the opposite sex. If you're a man and if you're a woman, look for strong Christian females as an example of how you can walk out because there are a lot of strong Christian females in this world and those need to be our example. Fourth, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, not your body. If there's one part in this message that's going to get me in trouble, it's this part of the message. And I really wrestled if I was going to say it or not. But I I decided I'm going to go ahead and say it, particularly for our young ladies in the room, because there's this false narrative. Many women have taken on the war on women by using what God gave them. In the name of freedom of choice, there's a segment that believes that flaunting body parts, posing nude, or dressing in a provocative manner is empowering to women. I remember this really taking shape in 2016. I remember it vividly. Sitting there watching the news and Beyonce's Lemonade album came out. And I remember watching the news, and so many of the women on the news program, it was all women on the panel, they were ecstatic about how this was empowering to women. And so I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So I went and started reading the lyrics. It has nothing to do with empowering women, in my opinion. And here's Here's what I would tell you guys. God created you to be princesses, not prostitutes. And princesses wait for princes to earn their love. Princesses cherish authority that God has placed in their life. Princesses carry themselves with strength and with grace. Prostitutes use their body as a currency in exchange for something that they want. And a lot of women, especially young ladies in the culture today, are prostituting their bodies, not sex for money, but rather how they dress and present themselves in order to gain certain reactions, attentions, and access. Be a princess instead. Be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Fifth, make sure that you do not wear gender goggles. And I said that the last one could get me in trouble, but you clapped. So this one makes me nervous now because this one could get me in a lot of trouble. Don't wear gender goggles. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes women don't get opportunities because they're not doing a good job. Sometimes women are not getting promotions because they're lazy. Sometimes women are not getting a date because they're obnoxious. And sometimes women are not getting respect because they come off as demeaning. The same exact thing could be said for men. Sometimes you're a man, you're like, man, they don't love me. They don't respect me. I'm not getting promotion. That's because you show up five minutes late every day, buddy. Some guys are like, man, none of these girls won't go out with me. Yeah, because you haven't showered in a week. (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't get respect. That's because every other word out of your mouth is a curse word. Here's the point. If you feel like you're being discriminated against because you're a woman, before you do anything, before you go with the assumption, go to a godly advisor who loves Jesus and loves you and say, hey, look, here's my situation. I want you to look at my life. Am I, being, am I being discriminated here against or am I, do I have something wrong with me? And then listen to what that person has to say. 6th do don't let anybody write your destiny. Remember the entire point of this message is that God created you to reflect his image in the world. How you do that is up to God by God's assignment for your life. If God's called you to a career, then do that. If God's called you to have kids, then do that. If God's called you to do both, then don't feel any shame in that. What I've noticed in my research for this message is that there's a lot of shame laid upon women in both directions. And this is really an odd phenomenon to me. This is something that I don't really understand as a man, but I've seen it played out in a lot of the articles I've read. Oh, you're just a housewife. Oh, so you're going to, you know, have a career, but you're not going to have kids when the Bible says that kids are a blessing from the Lord. Oh, you you have a career and kids? How are you going to raise your kids? What's wrong with you? You can't do both. All that stuff is us imposing what our ideals are upon someone else. So find God's calling for your life. Do what God's called you to do. As Paul told them, uh, told the church in 1 Corinthians 7, if you want to get married, great, do that. If you don't, great, do that. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, chase after that calling. All right, I'm going to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. This is my favorite part of the message. And I truly believe that God gave this to me for you guys. You notice I asked the question at the beginning is there a war on women? And I have never answered that question yet. I haven't answered that question. Is there a war on women? And I'm about to give you the answer. You ready? Yes. Without a shadow of a doubt, there is war on women. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says this The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the tree in the garden? Thousands of years ago, the devil went up to Eve and he launched a war on womanhood. He launched a war on humanity for that matter, but it started with a woman. Now, why did the devil go to Eve first? I love questions like that in the Bible. See if I can figure it out. You know what the thing is? I have thought and read and thought and read some more, and I have not settled on any answer. What we know is that sin entered the world that day because the devil deceived Eve and she lost the battle in the garden. And there was a war started on womanhood that day. Womanhood became under attack. Every act of chauvinism, every hurtful word, every act of sexual assault, every derogatory comment comes back to sin and the war on womanhood. However, there's one other thing that we need to see on this. Mark chapter 16, verse number nine says this. Now, when he, speaking of Jesus, rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, whom he had casted out seven demons. So, After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person he encountered was Mary Magdalene, the woman whom he casted seven demons out. The first person to experience the resurrected, victorious Lord Jesus Christ was a woman whom seven demons were cast out. Think about the similarities and the comparison here. Sin entered the world through the deception of a woman, and salvation appeared first to a woman whom the enemy tried to destroy. The first Christian was a woman. The first person to share the good news was a woman. And in time, when women didn't even have legal standing in the court of law, God chose the woman first. It's almost symbolic as if God wants to right the wrongs. that the enemy always started Here's the point: it's that God has purpose for you. And it's no mistake who you are and who God created you to be. Because of that, you need to embrace God's will for your life.